Uh, Turn in your copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis 33. Uh, We will, uh, I'll be reading the whole uh, chapter if you're able. Let me ask that you stand as we read God's Word together. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, and then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly, at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, well, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Now we pray our great God and our King, uh, that you would be in, at work in this, your very word, by your Spirit. That we might know it, know you, love you, and be more and more conformed into the image of Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You all know... Um, the phrase, if not the experience, uh, you're, you've, you've experienced or you've at least heard it said that old habits die hard. Uh, you may say it a different way, old sins die hard. Uh, 
those, those, those things that we wrestle with, those sins that, that have marked us through the years, they keep coming back. And, and every now and then you think to yourself, why am I still doing this? Like, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. This, this should end. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be sinning like this still. And that's true. Um, it's true and, and reasonable and biblical that you and I should hate our sin. But don't confuse your justification with your sanctification. Don't confuse that, that judicial declaration of God when you trust in Christ and He declares you not guilty with that lifelong process of being enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. In other words, it's, it's our sanctification that reflects that lifelong battle with indwelling sin. We see that come up in this chapter in Jacob's own life. It's a chapter that, um, that portrays for us that the gospel not only reconciles us to God, but it actually should reconcile us to one another as well. It shows us this, an illustration really of our New Testament reading just a few minutes ago that, that if, if, if you're there at the altar and offering a sacrifice, offering your gift there to God, and remember your brother has something against you, go first and be reconciled horizontally before the offering... Uh, making your offering there in worship. You remember Jacob's story. Uh, since some of you are, are visiting with us, uh, let me just sort of remind you the last few chapters we've uh, seen in Genesis. Jacob is on his way to meet his brother Esau. They, they, had, a, they had a little conflict, that little brotherly skirmish. Uh, this isn't the kind of brotherly skirmish we have all had with siblings. This is, this is bigger than most. Uh, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob when they were younger for a bowl of stew. Later in life, Jacob um, actually dressed up in Esau's clothes and covered his exposed skin with the skin of goat so that he would feel hairy like his brother Esau and went in and actually outright lied to his father's face and said, yes, I am Esau. He wasn't Esau. So that he could get Esau's blessing, the blessing of the older brother, even though Jacob is the younger brother. Yes, they're twins. Esau came out first. Jacob is younger by the length of his arm. God had promised to Jacob that the blessing would be his. God had promised that, that, would, that that's how it was going to work. God had told their parents, even before they were born, the older will serve the younger. I've chosen Jacob. I've rejected Esau. And so the blessing was Jacob's all along and should have been, but that, that's, that's no right to lie and cheat and swindle his way into it. Jacob, Jacob's marked by someone who trusts God's promises, but not God's ways of bringing about his promises, or God's timing in bringing about 
His promises. And so, that's been Jacob's normal past. To undermine. To grasp the heel. To to take sort of matters into his own hands and lie and cheat and swindle. And now, he wrestled with God and is now on his way to meeting Esau. The last time we saw Esau was 20 years ago. Um, and Esau was dead set on, on Jacob's death. The last time we saw Esau, he was just biding his time until his father died so that he could go kill Jacob and just receive all the inheritance himself. And now Esau approaches Jacob with 400 men. That doesn't sound good. I mean, that you can understand that surely Jacob thinks, surely Jacob's family thinks we're going to war. Esau's coming with these 400 men not to throw a party, but to attack us. That has to be. That's the only logical explanation for why Jacob is coming with these 400 men. It sounds bad. That's their backstory. That's the, the history. That's the story behind what brings us sort of to where we are at the beginning of chapter 33. And I want you to see, first of all, that reconciliation means, first of all, restoration. Notice Jacob arranges his family in groups. He puts his servant wives out in front and with their children, and then Leah and her children behind them, and then Rachel and Joseph are last at verse 2. It's, um, it's a parade of honor. It's a parade of... Um, he's, he lines them up in order of favorites. He, he puts the least favorite out front, and, and Rachel and Joseph, the most favored, back in the back of the line. Rachel was his favorite wife. He had worked 14 years uh, in order to, to receive her hand in marriage. She was the one that he wanted to marry. She was the one that, that won his affections first. You remember he got tricked into marrying Leah, the older, her older sister, first. And so he worked 14 years to, uh, to receive her as his wife. She's in the back of the line with her one son, Joseph. Now, we, let's be fair to Jacob. I mean, let's grant him the benefit of the doubt for just one second. He knows that God has promised him that through him, not through Esau, but through Jacob, the the promised seed of the woman will come. The The Bible really, and the Old Testament in particular, and Genesis especially, it really traces for us two genealogies. It traces for us the genealogy of the woman from Genesis 3.15 and the genealogy of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. Genesis really, the the whole book spends 
the, the vast majority of its time distinguishing. This is the offspring of the serpent. This is the offspring of the woman. In anticipation of the true, ultimate, final offspring, Jesus Christ. It's through this seed of the woman, Jacob is in this line, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're, they're, they're in that genealogy. That the, it's from them that the, the real champion will come and crush the head of the serpent. Jacob knows he's in that line and it's entirely possible that he's convinced that Rachel being the favorite wife, the one he really wanted, and Joseph being the favorite son because he's the firstborn son of the favorite wife, it's entirely possible that he thinks it's through Joseph that Jesus will come. It's through Joseph that the true seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent will come. So he may be, in his mind, be thinking, I'm preserving, I'm preserving the genealogy that I need to preserve. I'll put her at the back of the line and not out front. So that if this, if Esau and his 400 men, if this army come and attack us, then they at least can get away and that line will be spared. Of course, we know it doesn't come through Joseph. Ultimately, let me make two quick applications right here. Men, if you're married, um, let me first of all give you complete confidence grounded in Scripture. You have every right to have a favorite wife. You are absolutely, biblically, even commanded to have a favorite wife. Have no fear. If, if there's one that, you know, you're, this is my favorite. Okay, of course, biblically, you should only have one. Marriage has always been in Scripture, one man, one woman. That's the design, even from back in Genesis 2, when marriage was created. So men, if you have a favorite wife, that's okay. You're entitled to that. Parents, if you want to cause great trouble, in your family forever. I mean, for years and generations and, and centuries to come, have a favorite child. We've seen this over and over and over again. Jacob was his mother's favorite. Esau was his father's favorite. Jacob now plays favorites with his wives and with his children. We'll even see more clearly in chapters to come just how favored Joseph was. That part of Genesis you're probably familiar with. Playing favorites with your children will cause strife for generations to come. Notice first in verse 3, we already see evidence of Jacob's sanctification. We already see a change in Jacob having wrestled with God. We already see a new Jacob in verse 3 than we've seen before. Because notice what he does. Yes, he lines them all up from least favorite to most favorite. But old Jacob would have gotten in the back of the line. New Jacob 
leads the line. New Jacob walks out in front of all of them and goes to meet Esau first. Old Jacob would have preserved himself. New Jacob, having, surely I guess, having wrestled with God, Esau and 400 men seems like, like nothing. I mean, he, he just finished the night before wrestling with God. Who could he possibly face that would scare him or be a more difficult battle than having wrestled with God? He gladly, eagerly goes to face Esau. And notice at the end of verse 3. He bows down to the ground seven times. It's, um, it's overkill. One would have been sufficient. Seven communicates, I'm a, a conquered, defeated man, and you are the conquering army, and I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging my submission to you. It's, it's, it's official, formal, court kind of bowing to the ground to do so seven times. And so even without saying a word, before Jacob ever says anything at all, he's communicated to Esau. Esau recognizes, Jacob's submitting himself to me. Jacob's yielding to me. And then when, when the two men finally do speak, notice the language that Jacob uses throughout the chapter. Notice in verse uh, 5, he calls himself Esau's servant. Uh, Esau asks, who are these people with you? Well, these are the children that God has graciously given your servant. So he takes that that humble language, I'm your servant. And then in verse 8, he calls Esau my Lord. He uses language that reflects the humility of his heart. He's, to steal the language from Philippians 2, he's considering Esau better than himself. Jacob approaches Esau humbly, not fearfully. He approaches Esau with humility rather than with with pride, with arrogance, with fear, uh, with none of that. That's the work of God's saving grace in his life. Don't miss that. I mean, that's, that's the work of God's saving grace in Jacob's life. He, he can. He has the birthright. He has the blessing. He has every right. He has the promise of God the older will serve the younger. Esau is supposed to serve Jacob. He has every right to claim honor. And he throws it away. To defer the honor to Esau. It's evidence of God's saving grace in his life. That's how Jacob approaches Esau. How does Esau approach him? Notice Esau, verse 4, throws out all official custom. Jacob's bowing seven times. It's all this formal court custom kind of stuff. Esau says, forget all of that. Jump off your camel, jump off your horse, run to your brother, grab him by the neck, hug and kiss and celebrate that they've been reunited. That's entirely possible 
that Esau was coming with those 400 men to attack Jacob. It is entirely possible that in the moment when Jacob bowed, God in His common grace restrained Esau's evil enough that Esau instead, instead of attacking, I mean, it's entirely possible that the 400 men you know, on horseback behind Esau are actually puzzled. They thought they were going to battle. We're not told that. We don't know that. But it's entirely possible that that was Esau's intent when he left his home to go and meet his brother Jacob. Instead, God pours out His common grace on Esau. Remember remember what we know from the rest of Scripture. Malachi tells us, Romans tells us, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. We read just a few chapters ago, Jacob I've chosen, Esau I've rejected. The older will serve the younger. The promise is coming through Jacob. We know that Esau is not a believer. We know that Esau is not converted. It's not God's special saving grace that changes him. It's His common grace where He restrains evil. It's it's pictured for us in Matthew 5.45. God sends rain on the just and the unjust. We have this picture of true reconciliation. It means restoration. It means the relationship being restored. In fact, it's better here than we've ever seen it. It's better in this one chapter than we've ever seen in their lives. They've always been at odds with each other. From from the moment they were wrestling in the womb, they came out with Jacob holding on to Esau's heel. There's conflict over Esau's birthright. And then Jacob steals the blessing. That's their pattern. Their relationship has never been this good. They're fully restored. Reconciliation means restoration. But it also means restitution. Because notice how Jacob responds with all of these possessions. Their relationship now restored. Jacob realizes now I have nothing to fear. My brother is actually hugging me and and he falls on my neck and kissed him. They've been restored. Esau starts asking questions. Jacob, what's all these people behind you? What's... You got all, what's that? My wives and my children. God has, has blessed me richly. God has poured out great grace and generosity on me. Now, where Esau got his wealth, we don't know. Esau never mentions God in this passage. Jacob does over and over and over again. Esau never, ever does. We've watched it over the last 20 years, the last few chapters. We've watched his, his wealth, his possessions grow. We've, we've watched his, his favor grow. And Jacob, numerous times in this passage, admits, I have all that I have because God has granted it to me. I have all of this by God's grace. God has poured out His blessing on me. 
And then in verse 8, Esau asks again, what, did you, what do you mean by all this company that I met? All these that you sent ahead, the 550 animals that you sent? What do you mean by that? Th- that's not a question of ignorance. It's a question of objection. I mean, th- the servants told him what they meant. These are camels from Jacob. They're a gift for you. Jacob's coming behind us. These are sheep from Jacob. They're a gift for you. Jacob, that, that, was, that was what they were told to say when they met Esau. He, he knows they were sent for him. He's asking the question, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by all this? What did you, you mean by all the stuff you sent? He's saying to Jacob, that was a waste. You didn't have to do that. He's objecting to the gift rather than asking out of ignorance. Notice, I want you to see how Jacob views those animals, those 550 animals he sent ahead to Jacob. I want you to, I mean to Esau, I want you to watch how Jacob's attitude, his language changes. Turn back to chapter 32 and verse 20. There, uh, Jacob sends on these, these animals ahead of him, and he says, You shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. And then, then you get this explanation. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Jacob sends the gift initially, thinking that he has to buy Esau's favor. I'm going to meet my brother. I better... You know, 20 years ago he wanted to kill me. He might still be angry with me. They say time heals all wounds. It may have just festered instead. I don't really know. So I'm going to send all these gifts ahead in hopes of of appeasing him, of of buying his favor, of... It comes across as a bribe, right? But notice verse 8 of chapter 33. He kind of says the same thing again. I've, you know, what did you mean by all this? Well, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. He essentially is saying, I'm, I, I hoped that this gift would diffuse your anger. I hoped that by sending you all of this, you wouldn't be mad at me anymore. That I could, I could buy your love, I could buy... Your favor. Esau rejects the gift as he's custom required him to the first time. And then notice how Jacob changes in verse 9. Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Um, Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Now it's more like a thank offering. Instead of, instead of buying Esau's favor, now he's giving it out of gratitude. His tune changes a little bit. It's a, it, now it's a present. It's a gift. Because you didn't kill me. And I'm grateful to you for not killing me. Because 20 years ago, you wanted to kill me. But notice his tune changes again in verse 11. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you. He could mean, I want this to bless you. Or he could be saying, this is the blessing I receive from dad. 
the blessing that I stole from you, that my Father gave me, this is the result of it. I wrongly took it from you. I want you to have it. He's making restitution. He's giving to Esau that which he stole from Esau. Yes, the blessing was promised to him all along. Yes, it was supposed to, but he stole it. He's making restitution to Esau. That which I have received as a blessing from God, I want to share with you. I want to give to you, Esau, because, quite honestly, I stole it from you. And did you notice? Both Esau and Jacob. I wonder if there's ever been a conversation between two people. A conversation about stuff in which both people said, I'm content. Esau said, Jacob, keep your stuff. I have enough. Jacob said, take this because I have enough. Do two people ever In a conversation about possessions, do they ever say, I've got enough, I'm content with where I am? Or or is there, boy, if I could only have, I sure would like, you know, I just, I'm kind of almost content, but if I just could get, then I'd be better off. I mean, just a little bit more of that, a little less of that. Here we have this conversation, they both have enough. Jacob, of course, has enough because God has given it to him. Esau just has enough. I don't know how Esau has enough. We don't know how Esau got his wealth. Jacob reflects a trust and confidence in God's blessing. Reconciliation means restoration. It means restitution. But reconciliation doesn't have to mean, and I couldn't find a better word, cohabitation. Notice Esau says, come back to my home and live with me. I don't know why Jacob felt the need to trick Esau. Old habits die hard. New Jacob, old Jacob, the head of old Jacob sort of rears itself right here in the middle of this conversation. Just when you think Jacob's doing so great, he lies to his brother. Man, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you've accepted me. Here, take this great gift. Brother, you should come live with me. Great idea. You go on ahead and I'll catch up with you. He went a completely different direction. He had no intention whatsoever of following his brother. Maybe he was afraid of how Esau would react if he said, no, I really shouldn't. You know how that feels. Just in that moment when you think, I did it again. I shouldn't be sinning like that still. Why does that particular sin continue to haunt me? I've done battle with this sin for 20, 30, 40, 100 years, and yet there it is still. Old sins die hard. We see evidence of that right here in Jacob. I should do better, we think to ourselves. I shouldn't still be doing this. I've been a Christian far too long to to still be committing this sin. Yes, it's true. Your salvation is safe and secure in Christ. Yes, we shouldn't 
commit the same sin over and over again. Yes, we should grow to hate our sin more and more. Yes, every time we sin, we commit cosmic treason against the triune God. And that should cause us grief. But our sanctification, that our spiritual growth, that maturing process is slow. It's lifelong. It will not end until Christ comes back or you die and land in His presence. Only then will that spiritual growth process be ended. I want you to know something though. Jacob did the right thing. He shouldn't have gone with Esau. He should have said, thanks but no thanks. I mean, that would have been sufficient. He didn't have to lie about it. But he shouldn't have gone with Esau. Esau doesn't live in Canaan. Esau lives outside of the promised land. God has given him land that is to be his land. And to go with Esau would have been to sin against God, to violate God's clearly given command, go and dwell there. He should not have gone with Esau. They can be reconciled and not dwell in the same land together. The offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent shouldn't mix. That's the picture here at the end of chapter 33. Instead, Jacob goes to Succoth. It's called Succoth because they built shelters for himself, a house for himself and for his animals. It's also not in Canaan. Thankfully, it's only temporary, and, and he ultimately ends in Shechem, which is in Canaan. It is in the, the promised land. It is in the land that God has given to him. And there, Jacob builds an altar. The first altar Jacob's built. He, he's been reconciled to his brother. He's, he, he went out of his way. He didn't have to bump into Esau. Esau was out of the way. He went out of his way to be reconciled to his brother before entering the promised land and building an altar to commemorate God's grace in his life. He names the altar, the, the mighty God is the God of Israel commemorating His protecting presence for these last 20 years. Having been reconciled to God, He seeks reconciliation with His brother and then comes back to the promised land and there worships God, His Deliverer. The Gospel's all about reconciliation. As sinners, we are enemies of God. As sinners, we are, we are separated from God. The Gospel says God sends His Son to redeem us from our sin so that we can be reconciled to Him. We just sang it a minute ago. The Gospel says that, that God is all about reconciling rebellious sinners to Himself. But then we also 
because of the gospel and by the power of the gospel are driven to seek to be one with one another, to be reconciled with each other, that there be no division between us and others. Jacob, I mean, it's 20 years. How easy would it have been to say, you know, it's been 20 years. Do we really have to address this issue? I mean, it's 20 years. That's water under the bridge. We can let it go. We, we, we can just pretend it never happened. I mean, it was 20 years ago. I mean, who really remembers the specific detail? It would have been easy for Jacob to say, well, I don't have to worry about it. It was a long time ago. We'll just, we'll just kind of start over and, and pretend that never That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation means recognizing the offense, seeking to be restored in your relationship, making restitution where necessary. But we also see this picture that 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 reconciliation on the horizontal level affects our worship on the vertical. May Grace Covenant Church be a place that seeks horizontal reconciliation for the good and growth and advancement of the gospel and for for vertical worship. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you have reconciled us to yourself by your grace through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We are undeserving of that grace. We were rebellious sinners, shaking our fists at you, not at all interested, and yet you pursued us. You've reconciled us to God through the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that that reconciliation would fuel horizontal reconciliation. That it would fuel living, dwelling together in brotherly love here at Grace Covenant Church and in your kingdom in Athens and around the globe. And Father, we pray that we would be be models to those around us of humility, of seeking that restoration, of making restitution where necessary. We pray for your grace even to that end. Through Christ we pray. Amen.